Welcome to the Raw Idea Podcast. I'm Jim Kearns. Obviously, these are very hard times right now across society. COVID-19 and all that goes with it is affecting our physical and economic health, as well as bringing on a myriad of mental health challenges. On today's show, we're going to look at how this pandemic may be affecting you mentally and possibly give you some tools to cope with these issues. My guest, Doug Silverstein, is a marriage and family therapist with over a decade of experience working with couples, parents, and adolescents who struggle with depression and anxiety. Doug has a private practice with offices in San Rafael and Santa Rosa, California. Today, he is joining us from his home in Sonoma County. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Well, it is good to have you here. You know, I am sure that this past month has been unlike any other time for your practice. What are the overall themes that you are hearing about in your sessions? Um, yeah, I think the the main theme is mixed feelings that people uh, um, are suffering um, quite a bit. And then paradoxically, they see the opportunity, not everybody, but a lot of people see the opportunity um, to kind of rethink their lives. I mean, this is such an extraordinary thing that's happening that um, even in the context of the suffering and trying to make sense of what the heck's going on, um, I do see people um, kind of yearning, striving to make sense of their lives, make sense of life in general. And there's, of course, a lot of mixed feelings. And, you know, some of them are very difficult, um, might be obvious, but people are feeling a tremendous sense of loss and grief and um, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Um, they're feeling oppressed, oppressed, even though they might understand the reasons for it, the oppression of the shelter in place. And really this underlying sense of groundlessness, what, what the heck is going on and we have no control over this. Um, so it's bringing up some, some real fragility and, and dread. Um, it's very difficult. And yet I also hear people talking about, well, maybe, uh, maybe there's some kind of opportunity here. Um, I even hear some people expressing a lot of gratitude, you know, that they're not sick or that, um, their loved ones aren't sick, a gratitude for the life they have. Maybe they still have their job or they had a little money tucked away or whatever. But, um, and, and then there's people who are just numb. You know, they just, it's hard to know what to feel. It's hard to feel their feelings. But so mixed feelings is a real theme and people trying to grapple with, with, with those feelings. Yeah, and I'm certain some of these mixed feelings are centered around the family dynamic. So let's talk about families for a moment. Right now, they are stuck together, sometimes in very cramped spaces, and with heightened health and financial worry, there is definitely potential for serious conflict. Doug, what are some coping mechanisms that you suggest to work through some of this familial tension? Yeah, well, this is a a major part of the work right now. And so um, starting out um, uh, broadly, I suppose, it might be obvious, but communication is so important. You know, we can often go through our days and we might not need to talk much. We know what's happening with the other. We know the other's been at work or dealing with the kids or whatever. But again, because this is such a, a mysterious um, context we're in, to be increasing communication, um, um, partners checking in with each other more, checking in with their kids, um, you know, how's everybody doing, talking more about um, how to approach the realities of being in this context. You know, the, the, the federal government has its response. States have their responses. I think families should have their responses. Partners should be talking. How are we going to respond to this? Um, parents talking to their kids, particularly their older kids. Like this is, 
this is how we're thinking of responding to it. Um, what would help you respond to it? So um, really increased communication um, is a key. Um, you know, this is a real crisis. So looking at ways that we handle crisis, um, you know, stabilization in some way is really key with crisis. So um, are there certain rituals that help people anchor um, in family life, things that they might even be able to depend on in this context? Um, is it, you know, having dinner together? Um, is it going for a walk together if people are able to get out with their masks on? Um, so increased communication, anchoring in some aspects of life that feel uh, familiar or quote unquote normal um, that they've been able to rely on. You know, I am certain people over communicate and are tired of each other as well, though. So what do you tell those that say, listen, I've said I've talked about everything I possibly can to my wife or husband or my children, and I need I need I need to get away. What kind of advice would you give to those people who've been six weeks locked up with the same people and need a little space? Uh -huh. Well, communication might be one half, but space is the other half. And of course, not everybody's lucky enough to have space in their home, you know, depending on how many rooms there are, et cetera. But um, for each person in the family to value space, space is a real precious commodity right now. So um, that might mean literal physical space, like I've got to get out in the backyard or I've got to go for a walk. Um, headspace, like I got to put on my headphones and listen to music, please leave me alone. Um, so really boundaries, really supporting um, people to be able to set boundaries in this context. It's a real paradoxical experience where, like, again, con connecting and communicating seems so important, but also boundaries and, and really honoring people's space. And, 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 you know, kids, younger kids don't necessarily know how to give parents space, so it can be very difficult and frustrating for parents. So finding ways to talk to everyone in the family about, um, you know, individual time. I need my individual time. Oftentimes when we're hanging out in family, we're not thinking about that so much because we do get to get away from family. So somehow within this context to create um, um, kind of a, a, a normalization of every family member needing alone time. That leads me to my next question regarding kids. Um, right now, their lives have been interrupted. There's no other way to put it. It may have been the middle of the track season in high school. They might be in the middle of college. Obviously, there's no graduation or prom this year. School is out, at least the physical part of it. Many are online doing Zoom classes, but they are not with their peers and they're not in their normal school environment. So what is your advice to kids who are very frustrated right now, being home all day, and as importantly, probably psychologically, do not know what the future may hold? Yeah, this is a real challenging one. So again, it starts with um, being able to feel their feelings, um, to be able to say, um, you, it's understandable you're feeling these feelings, really validate their feelings and to work with kids on being able to self-validate. It makes sense that I'm feeling frustrated. It make, makes sense that I'm feeling angry. I feel robbed. I feel, um, you know, again, a great sense of loss and um, really trying to um, help them feel understood, um, to align with them in the depth and um, degree of their um, disappointment, of their distress in this. And um, also in some ways, part of what we do as parents in general um, is really important here. And that's not to minimize what the child's feeling, um, not to in any way discount it or invalidate it, but also to, to provide some perspective 
Um, some things that I'm hearing kids talk about, actually, which is really interesting. And again, it's not getting into specifics so much about s- certain clients, but I, I'm, I'm hearing kids actually talk about what this means in the context of history, which I think is a very adaptive thing to do. Um, now, of course, there's the potential that it could be, you know, seen as a catastrophic event in their lives, but it could also be seen as um, one day a historical event, and it will be part of their history. And, um, you know, World War II wasn't part of their history, or the Great Depression wasn't part of their history, but it was part of some people's history, and somehow they got through it. So really helping kids um, understand um, uh, historical context can be helpful, helping them gain um, a certain kind of perspective. And I know it might seem crazy, but um, in some ways, helping them consider how the future might look different in ways that could work for them, in ways that, that they might really be able to be on board for, get, even get kind of excited about. Can we dig a little deeper into that? How will they do that? Yeah, I think it, it involves some real imagination and some envisioning. And let's be honest, as parents, we're probably having trouble envisioning what the future um, is going to look like. So, um, again, you know, I do want to say that that part of it, especially in dealing with uh, anxiety and when kids are feeling um, anxious, is to help them be in the present. But the realities of this present are are quite difficult at times. And so I think that um, parents, depending on the ages of their kids, can really engage their kids in kind of this um, um, mental exploration of the future, some kind of imagining of what the future might look like. Um, again, in the same way, connecting with history, what, what people at an earlier time were going through that was difficult and how life did change, how the country did change, how the world did change, and, and, and what were people back then potentially imagining, and could they have ever imagined, I don't know, you know, the, the internet, or could they have ever imagined any of the things that um, came out of um, the past? And so um, I think it's an it's a, um, exercise that in some ways kids are good at, in some ways better than their parents. Um, they're, they're, they're able to think it in the future, but because this is such an unknown, they often need some support um, in being able to do that, depending on the age, playing games with the kids. I think there's some, some really rich conversations. Again, in the context of at times, everyone needs their space, um, having real rich conversations with the kids. And, you know, um, teens that I work with, they're very focused on the future of the world anyway. In the context of climate change, for example, talking about the future and what the future will look like, a lot of teens have already been living with the question of, of what the future is going to be and having some concerns about the future. So they're already in a, in a psychological context where they're imagining what the future might be and how everyone can play a role in, in creating possibly a better future. I think right now as a parent, um, there's a fine line between putting too much pressure on your kid and allowing your kids to just run wild because they have all this free time and their home and so forth. Um, what do you suggest as far as trying to kind of find that equal balance so you're not making your kid crazy and you're not, there's enough stress already just because they're in the midst of this virus and all that's around them, but you're also not allowing them to, you know, drift off into the ether and, you know, have no responsibilities. Yeah, well, again, a theme here that might be that there's inherent paradox involved. Um, so I do think helping kids stick to a basic rhythm, uh, you know, a basic structure is is very helpful. 
um, and still holding limits, certain limits, and again, boundaries are very important for kids always, might help them feel safer, it might help them feel a little bit more of a sense of normalcy. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually suggesting to parents that they loosen up a little bit. Um, that they they widen the, the the boundaries a little bit. Again, it's an extraordinary time. Um, I'm not suggesting that your 10 year old stay up till 2 a.m., but um, to provide a little more sense of not just the that which is negative about this um, unique experience, but something special that could be positive about it. And maybe it's that you know we do sleep in a little later, or we do at times. Um, um, you know, go to bed a little later, maybe um, whatever limits there are around media. Obviously, kids are having to possibly engage more with technology now in terms of online learning. Um, so I, I, I encourage parents to stay connected to their values, stay connected to um, that which they feel is in the kid's best interest, including certain limits, but to um, possibly um, free things up a little bit. Again, there's this almost sense of, you know, well, there's a real sense of restriction, real sense of loss of freedom in general. And, and some kids are, as you were saying earlier, really suffering in it. Imagine losing prom, losing graduation, um, losing time to, to be hanging out with your friends in the mall or movie theater or something like that. So I do think it's helpful for parents to create a little bit of a sense of freedom and, and, and play um, within the home. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about a broader issue, and that is the daily barrage of news and information coming into our heads through various sources, the internet, cable news, newspapers, etc. How do you suggest that we filter that daily intake of information as it relates to our own mental health? Yeah, I think that we all want to um, stay informed, and as has been said many times, this seems like such a ever-changing situation. But um, I think it's really helpful if we um, set um, limits around how much time we're looking at the media. And I know some people just personally are saying, well, I'll, I'll spend an hour sometime in the morning reading stuff, looking at stuff, and then maybe a half hour in the evening, and I'll, I'll catch up on where we're at at the end of the day. The, 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 the keys are um, if we're in this perpetual consumption of media that's going to be very anxiety provoking, um, you know, not just because of the content, but just because of the process, constantly checking. Anytime we're in a state of vigilance or hypervigilance, it can increase anxiety, even though we're being vigilant in a way to decrease anxiety. So um, to reduce um, the hypervigilance, to reduce the perpetual um, um, checking and to um, be aware of, of compulsive checking, like, oh, I got, I, I got to look, you know, what are the numbers now? Or what's the governor saying now um, to really try and imp interrupt the compulsivity toward consuming um, the, the, the news? And I think it's really important with our kids that we think about filters. What's the filter through which our kid is going to be um, getting this information? And of course, at different ages, um, we want kind of a thicker filter. Um, and so again, you know, particularly teens are often very connected to their um, technology. And so um, even though parents, I'm encouraging parents to, to loosen up a little bit, I think in terms of how much um, news the kids are consuming, uh, parents can try to play a role in being a little bit more of a filter um, and helping kids understand, make sense of what's happening is another important point that um, I think it's helpful if a family has two or three sources that they go to that they can trust and not be going around to a whole bunch of different sources that are saying a whole bunch of different things. Um, and, and kids can have a tendency to 
um, make somewhat exaggerated meanings out of what um, they're reading or possibly misinterpret. And of course, there's a lot of misinformation anyway. Um, so just as, as adults to really um, limit it, find these, limit it, find these compartments within which I'm going to educate myself, I'm going to consume, and then I have to let it go and give myself other things to focus on. And then um, being a, a filter and a bit of a shield for, for the kids. Let's talk about the social side of things for a bit. Social distancing, absolutely necessary and hopefully keeping us all healthy. And yet a very strange thing for all of us to get used to. When you walk down the street and somebody moves to the other side of the street, it, it is, it's something that's very new. And um, I'm guessing there may be some long-term effects to this type of behavior. What do you think about how we'll see each other in the future due to this idea of social distancing? Well, I, I notice that part of what I'm hearing and maybe part of what I'm hoping is that a long, long-term effect will be valuing connection more, um, having an increased um, um, value of, of being connected and being in proximity with, with people and particularly loved ones. Um, of course, again, here the, there's the in some ways the opposite that um, could also happen is that in some ways um, people might start looking with a little greater suspicion at people in general, like you're describing that I'm walking down the street and someone uh, walks to the other side. I, I might intellectually understand what's happening, but we've evolved in a context of having social cues with each other and, and, and physical cues. And I might feel somewhat rejected, or I might feel in some way rather that we're in something together, that somehow, um, that's the other. And so there's the possibility that we have to watch for the degree to which in isolation and in this kind of distancing, we tend to look at others with, um, you know, a hint of suspicion. Um, and um, there's also a way in which some people might um, um, get a bit comfortable in the context of not having to engage in a lot of interpersonal interaction, which at times can be stressful. Um, so there's ways in which people might be feeling like they're benefiting from a little less interpersonal stress. But overall, my, my deeper sense is that um, people are realizing how much they need each other, um, how much they, um, they long to, um, to be in proximity, to hug each other, touch each other, smell each other, taste each other, um, whatever it is. You know? And so um, you know, I think that there's this balance where we're exploring more self-reliance. We've got to be in our own little world, so to speak, and we've got to take care of ourselves in that. Um, but um, really looking at the degree to which um, we're, we are all in this together and staying connected in real ways and real palpable ways matter. I also think one other long-term effect is that um, people might start making choices about the types of relationships they're in. Um, they, they might in going through this, see who's really there for them, or they might get a clearer sense of which relationships are most important to them. And they might end up letting some relationships go. Interesting. Interesting. Let's try to leave on a positive note as far as what people may do in their daily routine that may ease some of the stress, ease some of this pain, ease some of this worry. I, I think there are two main, um, I guess, principles in, in terms of developing a practice right now. And one is balance. If there's any um, physical activity you can engage in that helps you feel like you're 
um, uh, feeling more balanced and grounded. Um, and and it, it might be in a certain exercise. Some people might practice yoga or Tai Chi and other people, it might be um, going for a run or, or something like that. But something that helps people feel a little bit more balanced, grounded in their bodies and um, looking at how they're, this relates to, to rhythm in the day, looking at how they're living life during the day. Is there balance in the day? Um, is there some part of the day where they're feeling they're getting um, to be somewhat productive? Is there um, part of the day where they're playing, part of the day where they're resting, part of the day where they're connecting, part of the day when they have space? Um, so, so ways to um, embody a sense of balance because this is a very destabilizing time and things seem really out of balance. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, this might seem um, a little bit um, esoteric in some way, but I think there's something in here around facing that groundlessness, facing that there are things, many things that we have no control over. And so practices of letting go, um, practices of surrendering a bit, um, however one might um, practice that or embody that, again, it could be physical um, could be relational, could be imaginal. Um, so, so something about balance and, and, and letting go, um, practices. And one of the, you know, some people already have like a meditation practice or some kind of contemplative practices that I imagine can, can be quite helpful. Um, but if we're getting space, which I think we all need, um, that, um, in that space, we're, we're, sort of making contact with what it means to have a human life, what it means to be alive in general, um, and in, in particular in this time. Well put, and I think a great place to wrap things up. Doug, thank you very much for joining us on the Raw Idea Podcast. Great. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Again, Doug Silberstein, he is a marriage and family therapist working out of offices in Santa Rosa and San Rafael, California. Please follow us on Twitter at Raw Idea Media for upcoming show information. Have a great day and please stay healthy.